Welcome back to Brisky Business, and this segment is Brisks, Bulls, and Bears, and this is where we try to demystify the, the uh, public markets a little bit, and we're going to be able to draw some parallels between the public market and the nonprofit market, which I'm, I think is going to be very interesting. You know, we're going to bring Kay Keeler back onto the program. Kay? Hey, hey, so far, so good. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed catching up with you, and I've learned so much about uh, what you do and uh, and about the nonprofit world and what the exciting things that are happening at CureSearch. So it's been great. But in this segment now, we're going to go brisk bulls and bears. And what I'd like to do is, you know, maybe ask a little bit of a personal question, which is, you know, tell us a little bit. we got a lot of listeners out there. Some of them are very young. Tell us about your investment strategy and maybe how it evolved as maybe just getting in business business, where it might have been midway and where it is today? Yeah, so I think one of the benefits of being in a nonprofit environment is, and, and this is, I think, widely known, at least I hope it is, that the, the um, benefits of, aside from compensation, which, by the way, compensation is good, um, but aside from that, the benefits are great. So there are 401k matches, there are um, HSAs, there are opportunities to stash money away in a not painful way. So um, from from when I was young, I was putting as much as I could, which, you know, wasn't much when I started, like all of us, um, in an IRA, IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, and then, you know, as much as I hate the idea of owning a home and being responsible for repairs and everything that goes along with unexpected expenses, it really is a phenomenal investment. So at 31, I saved up just enough money for a down payment and bought my first house. And I think investing in real estate at whatever level you can is always a wise decision, as tempting as it is to just stay in an apartment or or um, make someone else responsible for things that could go wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. And I and uh, you've, you've had a pretty successful um I guess, investment strategy in real estate. I know that's part of your portfolio. And obviously, you're invested in the public markets if you're in IRAs or in 401ks with the matches. But it doesn't sound like you're the type of person that's a stock picker. No. So I have a, a very small account where I just dabble. Um, but it's, it's, it's um, less than I actually put down as a down payment on my first house, just to be clear how teeny it is. Um, but I have a professional managing my portfolio, um, and I think that that is the right thing to do. Um, it kind of harkens back to what I was saying, Dave, about people starting their own nonprofit. Why not leave it up to the professionals who already have an infrastructure? I feel the same way about my investments. I would much rather... Have build a relationship with someone, understand their investment strategy, make sure it mirrors my own and that we're aligned, and trust them to do the right thing with it, given that they have a background of doing that. I think that's phenomenal advice. And I hear so often about these small little accounts that folks have, right? Because you got a friend or you get a tip or you get this or you get that. And you know there's not enough there that's really risky, but it's just fun to do it, right? With, and the reason yeah. why it's fun is because it's not so much risk. So you can, <laughs> you can take a shot and if you, if you don't win on it, 
it's okay. It's almost like when we go to Vegas, do we really think we're going to come away a winner? But sometimes we do, you know, so it's good to have those small accounts for that. And I think a lot of people do that. So I think that's interesting. You know, as you were talking in the other segments about the differences between uh, the nonprofit world and the traditional world, obviously most of the public companies are in the traditional space and a huge, um, a huge amount of the wealth is, in, uh, is invested in public company stocks. And the reason for that is because of the transparency, the public filings and all of those pieces. But it's interesting to me as, that you said, and I want you to dig in a little bit deeper, that there is that type of tra transparency in the nonprofit world, which maybe people aren't aware of, which could guide their decisions where to put their hard-earned money for greater good. Yeah, so I think there are several things that you want to look at when you're evaluating if a nonprofit is the right nonprofit for you to invest in. And I say invest because you really are uh, investing in output, right? Whatever that output may be, um, you're taking your hard-earned dollars and placing them in someone else's trust. So things to look at would include, as I said, the 990 to really dig in and see who is on their board and what their contributions are to that nonprofit. Are they really invested or are they names on a page? Um, what the expenses are from that nonprofit. So within standards of the nonprofit industry, we look at things like, is at least 65% of the revenue that you're expending going towards programs and services? So that could be research, education, whatever it may be, 65% is standard. We happen to, at CureSearch, adhere to a standard of 70%. So we're making sure that 70% of the dollars are put in those kinds of entities. So that's one thing to look at. Um, the other thing to look at is how much are they spending to raise their dollars? So you could have an amazing gala with celebrities and you know, uh, Fergie as the band, but how much did, and it could raise $4 million, but then you look and you see, oh, they spent $2 million, right, to raise that $4 million. So is that really where you want your dollars going? I think for most people, the answer is no. Um, so take a look to see if that fundraising expense, again, the national standard is under 30%. Um, we adhere to 25%. But, but take a look at those thresholds and make sure that you're not just looking at the shiny figures, but lifting up the covers to see how they're getting to those figures. And then you'll be investing in the right place. So is this information available in this 990 and is it easy to find? Yeah, it is available in the 990. And I would say some 990s are very lengthy. It's like looking at a massive tax return. So you can thumb through some of the, the pieces, but it is very clear when it goes to how dollars are raised, what expenses were applied toward those raised dollars, and the list of board members is clear, and the list of staff, key staff, and their compensation is also very clear on the 990. So there's, you know, and that's interesting. And thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's going to help a lot of people and they should. And, and I love that you uh, you took the national average. And of course, you're such an overachiever. You targeted to make sure you were in a better situation, regardless what it was. And those are great goals. So my hats are off to you on that and the Cure Search organization. But let's talk about the in, the. I don't even know if we call them, but the donator, the guy that's donating the money or the gal that's donated the money, and they're, they're wanting to make a difference. There are some benefits to that, right? I mean, it's not just like a typical expense, 
when it comes to uh, this? Yeah, I mean, there are a few vehicles that uh, a lot of people don't know about. So we talk in nonprofit about accumulation versus distribution phase, Dave. And so accumulation is usually up to around age 50, where you're trying to accumulate well to be in a position to retire and be comfortable. And then at some point between 50 and 60, you turn toward distribution phase, where you really want to make a difference, right? And you have the capacity, potentially, at that point to do so. So you could do that by a straight donation to an organization. They should be keeping you abreast with regular reporting uh, with a designated person that is your relationship manager, keeping you abreast of how your dollars are being used. Um, you could use a, a, an estate planning vehicle, a tax advisor, and come up with a charitable remainder trust, a charitable gift annuity. There are all kinds of tax benefit vehicles to also do good in the world and also have some tax savings. And there's recently emerged in the last 10 years the field of venture philanthropy, where we can get major wealth together to create a venture fund to invest in nonprofits, to drive toward new drug development um, with biotechs and pharmaceutical companies. And those are having some phenomenal success in building really great venture portfolios where venture capitalists are getting some return, but also getting a social benefit from the work that they're doing. That's phenomenal. That really is. And I, that's great to see that that's happening because there's such great need out there. You don't have to plug any company if you don't want to, but I, if you want to maybe even be more broad-based, and we've got about a minute, minute and a half, are there any highlight films in terms of what Cure Search is so proud of in terms of a drug that may have come out that you want to talk about? Oh, um, I think that, you know, if you look at um, where we're investing most of our dollars, uh, unintentionally, it tends to be happening in brain cancers. And the reason that that is happening is because we do have an intention of funding those brilliant breakthrough research projects that are flying under the radar or aren't getting the attention of other nonprofits. So we could for instance, fund leukemia. We could fund a lot of leukemia research. 40% of childhood cancers are leukemia. But I don't want to duplicate effort. So I'm looking and saying, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, they've got it. Unless something phenomenal that they're not taking care of comes our way, we're going to focus on those things that aren't getting that attention. And that's intentional on our part. We would rather be smaller and taking care of the rare diseases that come our way to help those kids who may not have any other venues. So we're working with AstraZeneca, uh, GlaxoSmithKline, Lilly, all the pharmaceutical companies, all the best kinds from Dana-Farber, Wild Cornell, um, uh, Yale, uh, uh, looking at Memorial Sloan Kettering to ensure that we're driving those drugs to help all those kids. So this is when we, we slow it down a little bit and you know try to reach out and mentor some people. You know, this is when I kind of take a nice sip of our wonderful coffee, right? I, I smell it in. Mm. And my wife picks out all the coffee for the guests and she picked this mug out, especially for you. And it says, every day is a clean slate and a fresh start. 
and uh, I know that fits the bill for what you're doing. And uh, you know, you don't know necessarily what's coming your way. So you know, we appreciate those uh, those fresh starts that you're out there helping people every time you start something new there at, at your company. So thank you for that. So let's talk about the importance of mentorship. You know, you entered the. Uh, and let's go back to. If you want to go back to the traditional said, you can. But you know, we've been. It's really been nice talking about nonprofit because we haven't done this before. So if you want to start there, maybe even better. And tell me about your early career. Was there mentorship available for you? And if mentorship is important for you now as maybe a mentor? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I, now Nowadays, you hear a lot about mentorship. It was not so much a thing, you know, when I graduated from college in the mid-80s. And I'm happy to see that that has grown. Unfortunately, I would say in for-profit and non-for-profit, I never really had a mentor, Dave. I kind of had my, to feel my way. Um, and it's interesting in nonprofit because it is a predominantly female-dominated uh, industry, except when you look at the executive level, right? So I think that it's really important for women who are executives uh, to take that role as a mentor. And look, people respond differently to how, how they were treated coming up through their career, right? And so maybe you learned not to mentor, and so that has stuck with you, and you perpetuate that. Um, in my case, I completely pivoted, and I know pivot is your, your favorite word, <laughs> but I completely pivoted and said, no, I want others to have an experience of being mentored. I want people to have long and happy careers in nonprofit. Uh, they can be successful and do good in the world. So let me, um, let me help them learn how to do that. And, and I would say, Dave, that it's not just um, me doing that, um, but my entire team. Because remember, we are a volunteer-run organization. So we're constantly mentoring people at the local level, helping them learn how to run an event, bringing them up through a volunteer org chart where they can actually have a career path as a volunteer and mentoring them throughout that process. Um, and, and when we do cause marketing with a large organization, like we've done with Mattel or Iron Hill or Kiawit, you know, we work with their organizations to help them find volunteers that can be mentored within their corporate structure because it allows them to show leadership skills that they may not have in their day-to-day -day jobs. Wow, um, that, that's, that's really powerful. No, that's, that's great stuff. And it's interesting, that statistic, um, you know, you know that, uh, We've got a couple of daughters and, you know, you know, I'm obviously going to have a heart for women, maybe a little bit different than those that were men only. I was raised with two brothers. And uh, so it, in a in a time when it was really a man's world. And, you know, once you get a couple of girls on your team, right, you're ready to it's the women have to take over the world. And it sounds like you've been doing a pretty darn good job doing that. Talk to me about um uh, some of the uh, uh, mentorship that you're doing now, or are you associated with any organizations? Is it just within CureSearch? You know, tell me about how important it is to you because you you used that word pivot, right? And it's great that in your case, you didn't have a lot of mentorship going on and you could have just kind of stayed on that path, but you decided, you know what? I can make a difference in other people's life and you chose to. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I'm, I really actually am, am quite honored to be a part of the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. So what they're doing is um, they've picked 19 executives in nonprofit throughout the country. Uh, I happen to be one of them that they chose. And they partner us one-on-one -on -one with a nonprofit leader 
who either is first time as an executive, as a CEO, an executive director uh, with a nonprofit, or maybe has shifted to a different type of nonprofit and is just looking for help in making sure that any roadblocks, uh, stumbles that could happen along the way, um, setting up an infrastructure that will be long-term successful is a great foundation uh, for a growing organization that they can get those tidbits and help along the way to grow them in their careers and help grow the organization that they're with. Wow, that's very impressive. I mean, we know there's thousands of nonprofits and you're one of 19. Is it, an all, is it all women that are on this group of 19? It actually is not. Um, I'm happy to say that we are diverse in, um, in both gender and uh, race and interests and uh, diseases, uh, really in bringing together you know, as many viewpoints as possible to lift up the entire nonprofit industry. Well, that's phenomenal. That is a great goal. And congratulations on that. I'm sure you're having great impact on, on a lot of organizations and a lot of people. So it's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving beyond uh, your experiences that you've had in a number of great nonprofits, including CureSearch. So good on you for doing that. So speaking of pivots, you know, my favorite word, it, I'm not sure it's pivot. It's one of the top five, though. My favorite word is actually gap moments. And uh, gap moments to me, I know you've, you've looked at the show and we know we've had conversations before. And it's really those moments in time. And I'm trying to get those drivers out there to let the, the, uh, those that are looking for mentorship understand that we cannot just live in overdrive 24-7. You know, we, if we wait to plan our European vacation two years from now and we're going to put on the calendar that we're going to have joy and happiness, you know, in, within 700 days, we're going to live pretty miserable lives. So you're a driver. You talked about the speed and pace of nonprofits. What do you do on a daily basis to bring joy and happiness into your life? What are your gap moments? Yeah, so it's interesting, Dave, because I thought about that because you and I had spoken earlier about what it is. And I think that in some ways I'm very fortunate to have a unique perspective because having been a nonprofit now for, you know, 15, 16 years, um, I've been in situations where I've seen firsthand people who are really struggling, struggling in a way that you and I aren't, struggling to have one more day of life. Um, either as an adult or as a child. And when I started at CureSearch, the very first story I heard was, I'm going to get choked up, was from a woman who told me about putting her child, her nine-year-old boy, in his favorite SpongeBob SquarePants pajamas to die. And I can't imagine what it's like to do that. And I can't imagine the courage it takes to share that story. So to me, I value, I don't have gap moments, Dave. I value every day, and I always take a moment to say, this is a moment in time I may never experience again, and mindfulness is really the thing that brings me joy because it allows me to appreciate every second because I know not everyone, and certainly not every child, gets that second. Well, that is a... Uh, a I don't even know what type of story that is, heart-wrenching, really. Uh, but having perspective is 
everything, really. And, uh, you know, obviously you're very focused on that. You're in an area that it almost forces you to have that perspective or you wouldn't be in it and to make a difference in people's lives. You know, I, 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 to a smaller degree to kind of drive, you know, some of that home, one of, the, one of my things are with my wife and, and you know both of us is this sunset. You know, I've, I've probably got a gazillion sunset pictures. And, you know, we watch the sunset that isn't so spectacular as well, right? Because if we don't look at those, how do we know what a great sunset is, right? And you, you've got that same perspective going on in your life. So it's easier for you maybe to find joy with what you've got going around you at CureSearch and the people you're trying to help, it seems like to me. No, you're absolutely right. And look, I, I try to walk every morning and I'm a sunrise person, you're sunset. So every time that sunrise comes up um, along the water, it's beautiful. Every day it's different. Uh, the cloud accumulations are different. The sunrise is different colors, and I appreciate all of that. Um, but I do. I think about the 43 kids diagnosed every day. I know that they're counting on me and my amazing volunteer leadership to drive home the fact that they can get one more day, that they will have a healthy life. And um, so between those two things, work and the personal life and the downtime of those sunrises every morning to start my day, I think I'm very lucky. That's great. That is absolutely great. And I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Uh, really, really um, great message of uh, what's going on there at CureSearch. Kay, it was a joy having you on the program. I'm super impressed with what you're doing, who you are as a person, the difference you're making in people's lives, and uh, the organization you're leading and the impact it's having on not only the children, but on their families. So this pretty much concludes uh, this episode of Brisky Business, and it's been my pleasure to have you on the program. Well, thank you, Dave. It's been a joy to be on it, and and uh, I look forward to watching more of your shows and seeing who your future guests are. Well, we'll get after it. This is Kate Keeler 